Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Everyone, how you doing today? I'm happy to be back today, Mike and Russ. Thanks so much for yesterday for hanging out. Um, I was I was literally sitting in this chair when the school nurse called me that my daughter was like throwing up all over the place. I'd jump out the door, pick her up, and then, you know, realize when I got there, she was like dehydrated, had to take her to the hospital, she had to get IVs. It was just a fun afternoon in general. So you guys really picked up the ball. I appreciate it. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're back. Everybody, you know, I, I'm the only one who has not gotten this illness. I want to throw that out there. This, you know, healthy me, you know, I'm just. Okay, so what that, what that means is I'll prepare for yeah, solo yeah. <laughs> for the next week. All right. Yeah, don't, don't, days, put a, don't put a few screws to the rest of us, okay? Yeah, don't yeah. tempt fate. Might want to have a backup plan there, Mike. Um, yeah, no, we'll see. But, uh, geez, so much to discuss today. Let's get going on this. I got breaking news if you want that. Okay, Russ, let's do it. Let's, let's first start the show. Fresh breaking news. All right, so um, Ivor Provorov has been named to the world championship roster. Oh, we Sorry. Let me start the show here. Let me start the show. Hello, Hockey World. It is Tuesday, May 2nd, 2017. I'm Michael Agello. I'm Jan Levine. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. I am Eklund. You're watching Hockey Buzzcast on HockeyBuzz.com. This is the podcast that comes every Monday through Friday at this time to fill you in on the comings and going and is brought to you by readers like you at Patreon.com slash Hockey. And Rush, you have a announcement. Break some breaking news. And so do you have some breaking news. Um, so Ivan Provorov was selected for the World Championships for Team Russia and Victor Antipin was selected for World Championships for Team Russia. So that's going to slow up Antipin getting to the NHL. They're now saying in Russia he is coming to the NHL. They won't say where. We're all assuming Buffalo, but they're not going to say. They're not. They're not talking. Wow. Okay. So good for Provorov, though. That's going to be a good experience yes. for him. It'd be really good for Provorov, and and this could be really great for Buffalo because Antipin could really help their blue line. Yeah, yeah. and it, this is just following the number of. Uh, KHL defections that we're going to see over the next couple months. I mean, we, we, we I think we, we talked about Kovalchuk yesterday, but, you know, there uh Shipachev and a few other, uh, Beraglazov, the defenseman assigned with the Rangers. There are a, no, a number of players, but the funny thing is, Russ, there's a number of players who are coming over and there's a number of players who might be going back. I saw something yesterday about Nail Yakupov possibly going into the KHL. Sure. But you know, the, the, the KHL is a mess. That's what I've been told over there. And we've been talking about how, and I definitely have been talking about the last couple of years that I think it's been deteriorating, and I think now you're seeing that. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't know if Yakupov going to the KHL is a real big loss for the NHL right now because he hasn't done a whole heck of a lot here. So he probably needs to go there, resurrect his career, and maybe get a yeah. second, third, fourth chance here, whichever number he's at now. Yeah. No, he's a, such an enigma to me. I mean, I, I I never really would have guessed that Yakupov would have gone, like would, would have not had success. You know, I really think that he's just he seemed like such a solid – choice to be a, a huge success and well, I, I think the problem is now act is that after the Edmonton situation you know I mean really in, in 
in, in St. Louis, he was used mostly as a third, fourth liner, and he's not. He doesn't have a third and fourth line skill set. He's a he's got a top six forward skill set. And if you're going to use him in a third line, then you may as well not use him at all. Let him go. You know, maybe he goes to Russia. Maybe he plays big minutes. Maybe he can re- resurrect his offensive abilities, and then in a couple years, maybe he comes back. But I, I think Edmonton did a disservice, and I don't think the St. Louis experience really helped him out either. I think he could end up in Vegas. I'll throw that out there. I think I think um. <clears throat> that could be a good. I mean, he could be. He's not going to be protected, probably. And I think that's a great. That's a great option for if you're Vegas. That that gives you a little bit of skill up yeah. front. You know, where he could be a top six player. And you know, yeah. maybe what he can do. You know, I mean, it's happening. I mean, they'll grant them all the time that he probably needs. If the expectation is they're not going to be good right away. I mean, kind of depends on what else they do in the expansion draft and how well they do in the regular draft and how long they think their timeline is to become good. But. Um, yeah, I mean, that kind of move makes sense if they can give him 18, 20 minutes a game and kind of see what he's got. Yep. Also, yeah. I don't know if you guys did see um, the Canucks defenseman signed a three-year – former Canucks defenseman signed a three-year deal. Tremaine. Tremaine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, I don't think the Canucks were very happy about that. You know, he came over for one year, and I think he started to play well at the end of the year, but, Yeah. That's, I mean, he's a big, you know, that was a big body, and that, and that yep. Canucks defense is not an area where they're really strong. No. No, that's for sure. The better and, players are coming this way. I think that's the key. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's usually the key, and, and, and right now I think but that – But it did slow down, Eck. It did slow down for a while. Now it's like gangbusters. Yeah, no, and I think that that's – yeah, I mean – And if it wasn't an Olympic year, I think it would be even more. Yeah, you're probably right. Probably right. And that's definitely true, especially with the NHLers not going. Those guys are going over there to compete now for jobs on the Olympic team because the Olympic team gives them exposure, maybe to get them back in the NHL. So there's a whole bunch of things. I mean, at the end of the day, it's probably more about getting back to the NHL in some cases um, for the other guys because they really want to sign good contracts over here. And staying alive on the bad plane flights and everything, unfortunately, they still have that to deal with. Right, and that's, it's, it's a scary place to play. I mean, I've talked to people who played there, and I know people that still haven't gotten paid from years ago there. So it's like it's a hard – it's a it's a weird it's a hard place to play you know and, and they obviously don't like when we post uh, you know, YouTube videos because we've got <laughs> with them a couple times KHL so anyway um, so let's talk about this for a second um, net, last night the big news of course and probably the big news of the playoffs maybe so far is Crosby getting knocked down by Niskanen um, and it's a big you know I know but not everybody's a Crosby fan but uh, this, is a, this was an interesting t- development for me I mean I watched the play over and over and over again as we all did and. I, I could, can go back and forth on it, and like I said, I really still feel it's similar. To, I still feel like I like the hit on Fiala still reminds me of the same kind of situation. Like to me, this is this was another reactionary play. There's no suspension going to Niskanen. That's already been determined. Um, but I thought the five minutes, you know, misconduct was kind of strange. And yet at the same time, I, I mean, did, what what are your thoughts? Um, Mike, start with you on this one. Well, I mean, I didn't think the Bertuzzo Fiala uh, incident was purposeful in the sense that I don't think I don't think Bertuzzo pushed him to injure him I think he was taking him out of the play and in this instance um I actually think that the swing from Ovechkin you know Ovechkin doing his best Mark McGuire imitation uh had an effect on this play because after he hit Crosby and Crosby went across the crease uh to attempt to score he started to fall and that's when Niskanen was coming with the cross check and I think the intention was to hit him on the shoulder and Crosby's falling down and he hits him in the neck head area. I, I think the five minute major in the game misconduct was enough of a penalty for Niskanen. 
Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that it wasn't, you know, quote, a predatory hit. And, I, you know, I think Barry Trotz getting a little bit upset after the game regarding, you know, whether it was predatory. You're talking about a half a second. You're talking about a very quick situation where we see it on the replay and we see it in frame by frame. And in that instance, it looks like, oh, my God, he went and tried to take him out. I don't think that was the case. Nobody, Barry Trotz included, nobody talked about the Ovechkin stick infraction, which is right there. Everybody sees it. We're not blind. And nothing gets called. And that's really what set up Crosby to be in a vulnerable position. Right. And, then, and, that, and, then, and that's my overall problem, Russ, because I, I, you cannot convince me of this. And the funny thing was yesterday during the, on the webcast, act, I, I, you know, I questioned Ovechkin's intent regarding the shot to Ron Hainsey's head in game two and said, you know, if he wanted to really affect this, this uh, series, he should, he should have shot it at Sidney Crosby. And I was being tongue in cheek, but in a sense, what, you know, I mean, Alex Ovechkin is a star player, but Alex Ovechkin is a predator. That's what he does. And he gets away with it because he's a star. And it drives me crazy. And he won't get, he won't, he didn't even get a two minute slashing penalty for that, for that uh, situation. Well, uh, Jan, go yeah. ahead and then I'll bring up the, I'll bring up the Rob Rossi article that sort of agrees with you guys a little bit. But yeah, you should also bring up the Dave Lozo thing he posted today also, which is completely ridiculous. So that's the other, it's the other one he's tweeted out as well on the quote unquote, what he heard that the audio after game two in the locker room was, it was kind of ridiculous. It's considering the source, but it's in line of putting things out there that really create a bad situation. But in terms of, look, I, I agree with you. First of all, the Ovechkin hit definitely should have been penalized. It's a two-handed slash across the chest that should have been penalized because of the virtue of that, it knocked him off balance, which had his leg partially collapsing underneath him and put him in the position where he was going to hit, get hit in the head. Ryan Rolson wrote a really good blog on it with a lot of quotes. If you read Niskanen's quote afterwards, there was intent to cross-check because yeah. I think he felt he was going to hit him on the shoulder or on the side or in the back. There was not intent to hit him in the head. However, by virtue of him hitting him in the head, the five-minute five penalty and the misconduct was clearly warranted. Now, whether or not you want to argue that a headshot automatically should have some form of a hearing that's another matter altogether, and the NHL should probably start taking that under consideration. But Ray Ferraro had a couple of good tweets where if they actually called the penalties that are in the book the way they're written in the book and get away from the garbage that we've seen over the past several years, you'd clean up a lot of this stuff. And I know a lot of guys on my, on my blog, you know, they're talking karma's a bitch because Crosby has done stuff in the past, the slash to Mathot's hand, the slew foot, the other things that he does in the past, him being a crybaby. I'm of, the, I'm of the viewpoint is, A, never root for anybody to be injured, especially superstars, because they're the guys that carry the league, but it goes both ways. Ovechkin should have been called on the penalty. Nothing got called. Nothing got talked about until a couple people brought it up afterwards, and that's the bigger problem here is that Ovechkin has gotten away with murder for way too long. His checks where he leaves his feet, makes head contact, never gets called. This is a situation where his cross-check precipitated the Niskanen hit, I think the NHL handled it right that there shouldn't have been discipline, but the Ovechkin thing is still a problem that has to get resolved and resolved quickly. And Niskanen's a clean player. That's the funny thing about it. I don't know about that. He's a pretty clean player. He is. I don't know. He's not. He's not. A, I wouldn't call him a dirty player, but he's a he's a sneakily dirty player. Okay, but I mean, he's he's really on the on the scale. He's he's really doesn't. He's really well, on the scale in terms of dirty players in the league. If yeah. Niskanen is a sneaky dirty player, then. 
Alex Ovechkin is an overt. Oh, yeah, no. So let me go to Rob Rossi's article because Rob Rossi, who used to doesn't I guess he writes for he writes for the Pittsburgh Pittsburgh Tribune Review and he's the Pittsburgh Tribune Tribune. He does, right? I, I think he's still a columnist for them. Yes. All right, because I got this from Upgroove. I'm not sure. So anyway, what is up? Upgroove is one of those like uh, sites. Right, you got me. I think it's uh, yeah. I think I think it's a. Uh, Money, whatever. I don't know where this article is from, but it's it's Rossi. So I'm, let's just say it. He's he's a columnist, no matter how you slice it. Okay, so he starts his line by Alex Ovechkin shouldn't play another game in these Stanley Cup playoffs. Okay, and then he gets now. Now Rossi's not exactly one for um, <laughs> impartiality or subtlety, um, but you know he gets, um, you know. But he, I do like I do I've always liked him because he does speak his mind and um, he does. And he does, he does say things that a lot of people won't say. Okay, so he gets into Niskanen and he says Niskanen had issues, um, you know, and has been has been dirty against him. He said, you know, he's, he's in the previously, he said, um, you know, against the Dallas Stars, you know, he, when Did it was – Did he ever write that James Neal was, was dirty? I kind of wonder. Go ahead. Yeah, no, really. Um, but there's his – Ovechkin was the reason Crosby only – okay, the NHL should and could throw the book at Ovechkin who skated freely despite playing a big role in Crosby's injury. Ovechkin was the reason was the reason Crosby only lasted three shifts in game three. He was the capital most responsible for Crosby's injury, which is what you guys are saying too. That's true. Um, he carelessly lifted his stick into Crosby's head, forcing the NHL's sturdiest skater to stagger into Niskanen. If Ovechkin hadn't gone that route, Crosby wouldn't have gone head first into a check. Oh, hold, hold on one second. Just breaking news from, uh, from Mike Sullivan, the Penguins coach. Sidney Crosby has a concussion and will not play in game four. Connor Sheary has a concussion. Uh, as well, and I'm just checking to see whether he will play uh, or not. But I, I would assume if he has a concussion, he's not playing in Game Four as well. So, okay, so we're looking with Crosby. It's probably. I mean, there's a good chance he's not going to be back in the playoffs. Yeah, so, which I think was yeah, the obvious. And the news that he's out is the breaking news. I think they had announced a little while ago that he had a concussion, but wasn't yeah. clear that he was going to be out. The same with Shiri now, also on that it, that. Hit between his own man actually put Kashiri out of the concussion as well. Right. So he goes on to say, um, makes you wonder what the closed door meeting called by the Capitals players was really about after their blowout defeating game two, you know. Um, and he's, just, he's basically saying, you know, that, that that they have nothing, the Capitals have nothing to gain here except to try to knock Crosby out, that they've all been under pressure for a long time to win and they can't win. And they almost went down three games, nothing last night, um, which would have changed things a lot, I think. Um, that was a big goal for them, um, for sure, to win that game last night. But I don't know. I mean, I think it's uh, – yeah, it's a tough call. I mean, I get – I don't think Ovechkin's out to kill Crosby, though. I don't, I don't think he's out to kill him, but this is the only thing that could have put the Capitals on even footing with the Penguins is not having Sidney Crosby in the series. They now have that. I mean, Latang aside, Crosby was killing them, absolutely destroying them. Yeah, yeah, no, he was. And – and Ovechkin was probably frustrated, but the problem is, just like anybody else who gets frustrated in this league, he should be penalized, and he's never penalized. And that's 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 the problem is, and there's 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 enough history, as I've said, on his checks where he leaves the ice yeah. with both feet off the ice and makes contact or slams guys into the boards that nothing is ever called. And granted, look, as a superstar, you get away with certain things. I sure. get it. that's why Crosby has maybe gotten away with some of the stuff yeah. that should have been called. But if you're going to send a message. Then you send the message and actually you target the superstars and everybody else will actually get the message and cut down this crap. If not, all you do is perpetuate the same problem over and over again. 
Well, I mean, the, the thing is, I mean, the game last night was compelling, but it was also a really ugly spectacle because after Crosby, it got really, really, and that chippy is not the word. I mean, we're talking, we're talking cross checks, we're talking running from behind. You know, uh, I know that uh, the, there was an incident with uh, with Malkin and Tom Wilson, and I think it was in the second period that got a little bit ugly. This series is now going to, I think, decompensate. It's going to take a deep dive into that area, Mike. It yeah, is. right. And and the thing is now now you're going to see you're going to see them focus in Washington. This is going to be a war of attrition. They're going to focus all their guns on on Malkin and on Castle right. on their two. Here's the million dollar question: Are we going to see Tom Sestito now? Is this what's going to happen? Yes, you are. I, I, yeah. I again, I would be shocked if we didn't see Sestito, given what transpired yesterday. Especially if Crosby wasn't out and Sheary wasn't out, I would say maybe we wouldn't. But you know what? This is going to degenerate into a tit for tat kind of a thing. And he's going to take it a run at one of the big players. And honestly, it's not going to be Ovechkin. It's going to be Backstrom, in my opinion. Is that who that who he's going to target? It's going to be Backstrom or or Kuznetsov. Guys, he's going to target. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 on defense, they'll go they'll go after guys like even though he hasn't been great in the playoffs, they'll go after guys like Shattenkirk because Shattenkirk is an offensive weapon, and he's not a you know. I mean, if you try to go after Brooks Orpik, he's going to stick the stick in your face. And the officials are going to have to call everything the first couple of minutes of the game to try to, quote-unquote, keep yeah. some order. And it's going to degenerate into a power play and special teams type of battle. But there is going to be something that ends up happening. If it's a one-goal game, maybe not. But if either team gets a big lead, something's going to happen that's going to be really dangerous. And then this is this is the thing. I mean, I was waiting for this, and not not with glee, but I was waiting for this. It was 2 nothing. And there was a there was a, a dump that ended up in an icing, but it missed the goal by about a foot and a half. If that had gone in and it was three nothing, I was prepared for World War Three because I think that would have happened. I think it would have gotten really ugly. There would have been some some evening up the score. And you know the only thing that will keep that stuff from happening is close games going forward from game four. But if it if a team one of these teams gets up three or four goals, there is going to be blood on the ice, and I think that's that's ugly. Now the point, one one thing where I it was funny. I saw some something about Daniel Sprong, um, who, and I don't know if he was with uh, is still in the queue or if, I don't think he was with the uh, Wolfsburg, but uh, his season is over with and he's being brought to the Penguins. I don't think they're going to insert him right now because it's a you know a rookie kid, even though he's played some time in the NHL. But they might think about that because if Sheary's out, this is a guy who can score and who can play. Yeah, yeah he's got a good hockey IQ. I think. He never pouted when he got sent down from the team. He still excelled. And so I think there's a really good chance Sprong will, will see time in this series. And I think they're going to have to. Again, the, this is what happens in sports. But, like, this is the only thing in my estimation that would have given the Capitals a chance in this yeah. series. If Crosby had played that full game, and we don't know the answer, but I think if Crosby played that full game, I don't even know if the Capitals would have won that game. That's how it is. But now, now the series <clears> – <throat> feels like it could be evening up just because of injuries. Everything went the Capitals' way in that game. Holpe was playing yeah. good up until a certain point. Crosby was out. Shiri was out. Everything was going their way, and they still blew the lead in the third period. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I hesitate in in public conversation to use the word choke. But that was a choke yesterday, and only only Shattenkirk's power play goal sort of alleviated. I mean, imagine if they had lost that game after everything had happened and they had fallen down 3-0. I, I don't know how the Capitals players could have looked at, looked at, at themselves in the mirror. 
Well, this, as, I, as I tweeted last night, if the Capitals had lost, which would have been the bigger choke, the Rangers blowing a two-goal lead in 319 and losing, or the Capitals blowing the lead with a minute and a half to go and losing? Honestly, Jan, that if, if the Caps would have lost last night, the, the 2013 Maple Leafs would be off the hook. Yep. Because well, I don't know if I'd go that far, but maybe. But the only good, I guess the one good or quote-unquote saving grace is there is a slight extra day between game four and five. Now, granted, it kind of depends on whether or not how bad of a concussion Crosby got and how willing they are to bring him back sooner rather than later. But that extra day does give the possibility that he could be potentially ready for a game five because he has the extra day of rest. I will say this. This is going to test Mike Sullivan because right now he's sort of gotten the Phil Jackson pass. Like he's got the players. He didn't screw anything up. He won a Stanley Cup. Well, now he doesn't have the players. I mean, now he's legitimately coaching like any other team and he's going to have to fill in some other guys. So this will be a big test for Mike Sullivan, I think. He sucks in your first-line center. you got to go down to like a, a, a first line, Your first-line center, your number one defenseman, and your number one goaltender. And by the way, your number two goaltender is playing like a number one goaltender. He was yeah. insane. But I mean, to have to play Malkin all those minutes, I mean, that's just terrible. <laughs> well, no, but I'm just saying that now they're more like a mortal regular team than the Pittsburgh Penguins. To, to yeah, I, mean, I still, I still think, I, yeah, I still think they're going to win this series. Okay, but I, I, don't I, think I don't, I'm still picking them. Yeah, but but I, I think where this, I think where this does play into it is and, in the next series in the series yep, beyond. Absolutely, because right now Ottawa and the Rangers, depending if the Rangers yep. make a comeback or going, if we do get Pittsburgh, who yeah. knows how good Pittsburgh is going to be when we face them? And if you get Washington, yep. who knows what's going to be with their psyche right now in terms of them going into the next round? But we knew, but we knew, okay, and we didn't know that Crosby was going to go down. But we knew coming into this series that Pittsburgh and Washington were going to beat the crap out of each other. It was going to go six or seven games. There was going to be wounded uh, on the battlefield, and whoever came out of that uh, that Ottawa Rangers series, you know, even though they'd be the underdog, they'd probably come out less uns well unscathed or relatively unscathed, and they'd have a ch and they have an opportunity. If Pittsburgh advances without Crosby and he's out for the remainder of the playoffs, whoever wins that series in the and the other you know in the other division, I think has a good chance now. Yeah, and but the playoffs is always a battle of attrition. It always has been and always will be. But if it's going to be a battle of attrition, at least make it a battle of attrition from legal within the game hits, sure. as opposed to things that go uncalled that created create opportunities for other teams. Now I do have a little Ranger news. I saw that for their morning skate, the, um, the extras, <laughs> don't, don't don't say it. The, no, no. Listen, here's what I'm going to say. Man. There were two things. The extras were skating, and of course, Pavel Buchnevich was not among the extras because you know he only played five minutes last game along with um, Oscar Lindbergh. But Lindbergh wasn't with that group. But here's the two things I don't like that Elaine Vigneault is doing right now. The Rangers' power play is awful. Right. Also to the point where, if nothing else, those guys should be skating and working on the power play, and they're not doing it. He's continuing with this no game day skate, and it, you know, again, I will not say whether the lineup is set or not because Vigneault will put out a hundred guys in pregame skate, and we'll see who plays. But I got to tell you something: if Nick Holden plays tonight. This game, all bets are off. I can't even tell you what will happen. Well, Roz, I, 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 sent, I sent you the tweet earlier about your favorite player, Tanner Glass. Possibly I know. No, I, no, he wasn't part of the extras. A couple of things. So, actually, Russ, Buknevich, Piri, Pumple, and Glass were all with the extras. Oh, Glass kind of okay. went off the ice early at 11 o'clock, quote-unquote, for the team meeting, which is what sparked all the speculation that he's going to be in the lineup tonight. 
He's not going to sit Holden. He's already made it pretty clear that Holden and Stahl aren't going to sit. And if you read my blog yesterday, and I've been saying it the whole time, he did it in game two where he got caught with them on the ice where, where Plekanek scored. He did it in game six when it almost cost him until Lundqvist made the pad save to save them. How you do not play Brady Shea the last six and a half minutes in game two of the regulation, and you don't play Brandon Smith the last five and a half minutes, and you keep relying on the same four guys, don't use your timeout after the icing with about 120-something to go in the game, and you're not playing Shea and Smith all those minutes, and your comments post-game are the most asinine thing I've ever heard in my life in terms of the reasons associated with it, that guys deserve minutes. You have a guy who scored two goals who's been your best possession guy, same with, same with Buknevich, same with Lindbergh, who never should have sat. And meanwhile, you've shortened the bench. You want to sit JT Miller? I get it. He deserved to be sat. He hadn't done anything. But Lindbergh, not to have Lindbergh on the ice late to try to protect that lead with fast was the stupidest thing I've ever seen in the world, and he's done it several games now. But as I wrote yesterday, after game two, that is what he did in game two, in my opinion. If they don't win this series, could be a fireball offense, according to, to, to Gordon. They're not going to fire him. I agree with you. It could be one, but I don't think they I know he's got the extension. But you know what? You can't keep making the same mistake over again and not pay some type of price for it. Tim Murray had an extension in Buffalo. Where is he right now? Yeah, Reno is, is – I mean, I've never – I've always thought Bino has, has, a, has a sort of ceiling to him. You know, like and, – and, yeah. and, you know, he's a very good coach. He can get you into the playoffs. He can even get you into a few rounds. But he's not – he is definitely afraid of adjustments. You know, he's afraid of making adjustments. He's afraid of – he'd rather just stick with his first instinct and go with it than make an adjustment and lose. Um, well, and he's always admitted that a couple times in press conferences. You've heard him, I've heard him say it almost to that degree, you know. I mean, and the, the moment that always sticks out to me, and I brought it up before, but it's just, it's just, it was, just, was the most crazy moment I've ever covered. Was um, I actually asked him a question during the Stanley Cup finals with Vancouver and Boston, and Boston when, when, when Lunk was couldn't stop a beach ball, right? And I said, not Lunk, I'm sorry. Um, Luongo. Luongo couldn't stop a beach Luongo. ball. Right? So I said, Luongo came over at one point, and they were down by four goals, and Luongo and, and Vino had words, and I said to I asked Vino, I'm like, what did you say to him during that period of time? He said, well, I didn't say anything to him. He just yelled at me, don't you dare take me bleeping out of the game. Don't you take me out of the game. So he's like, so Vino left him in the game. And I, I, you know, I, I just, I felt like that was the most crazy thing I'd ever heard because and I, I talked to other coaches. I talked to Ken Hitchcock. I talked to all kinds of people after that. And I said, what would you do if a coach, if a goalie came over and said that to you, right? And Hitch is like, keep me on the bench faster than you could count. You know, like right. you keep, your goalie can give a bunch of goals, can't go over and say, don't you take me out of the game. Right. Well, Vino have like this strong, you know, this strong personality to be able to make certain kinds of moves, the hard moves at hard times. That's, that's what I've seen before. So it feels like he's following that. Well, the, 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 one th the one thing is that the, if, if he does insert Tanner Glass, that's a comfortable move for Vigneault because he, there is a level of trust there for right. some reason. No, that's fine. And, and, yeah. and, and, and Glass, the only thing Glass provides is that, that energy, you know, some physicality, throwing some checks. But honestly, the, the Montreal series switched when they inserted Butchnevich in the lineup. But the thing is, if Vigneault doesn't trust the young guys, if he doesn't trust the third pairing in the fourth line, and to the point that he doesn't use them, then he better put in somebody who he does trust because you need to roll four lines and you need to roll three defensive pairings. Yeah, I agree you know, with you. It sounds nice, but Vigneault, he's always going to rely on – on this defense, whether it's good or not, he's always going to, you know, we'll see if they, they do make a positive change for the power play because I've been, you know, I've been asking for Peary forever now. We'll see if that ever happens. Uh, it's just, it's crazy because 
you want to talk about the definition of insanity, it is the Rangers right now. It really is. And I wish I could say they were better at guard nice, so I would say, hey, you know, don't worry, Lundqvist will get this one, they'll close it out, and, and they'll be right back in the series. But a lot of these personnel moves play into what's going to happen, and we have no idea what the personnel moves are really going to be. I mean, that's the thing. He's, he's always in a veil of secrecy with that, too. And also, being better on home ice requires you to make some hard decisions, actually. Like, yes. It actually does mean that – because when you're on the road, you, you have an excuse. You throw your lines out there. What can you do? You can't match lines. When right. you're at home, you can't match lines. Yes. Then the pressure's back on you, right? And then mm -hmm. and that and Vino is not a guy who likes that. I, I just I don't get the sense that that's what he likes to do. He's got incredible strengths. He's a better coach than I'll ever be. So I'm not mean to sit there and sit there. But right. I just noticed this aspect of his personality um, that he doesn't. He would rather probably be on the road. He'd rather probably them have the last line change because he has his things and he, he. I think he just second guesses himself so much in his head that he's just I'm not going to do anything different. And you know he's and there are there are people you'll meet in life. You know and I've met people. We've all met people throughout our lives like. I had a boss one time who was like the worst boss in the world. I worked at a bookstore. He was horrible, and he never did anything. It was horrible because he never fixed anything. And yet everyone said, oh, the store runs great. And, everybody, and things would fix themselves because he didn't do anything at all. But, but people were like, oh, you know, he's the greatest. But you know that you know the kind of person who's like, who just that's one method of leadership, to not really do anything, to just sit there and let things work itself out and hope that you have good people below. And uh, sometimes it works out beautifully for people. Because they never, because if you don't do anything, you can't make a mistake, right? So, it, it, the thing he's he's afraid of getting blamed for it. So I mean, here's the thing: there's two things that really are bugging me. Does Kevin Hayes deserve to be in the lineup? He has one point in the playoffs. He's been in hyperspace most of the time, making dumb plays. He's literally there because he's big and fast, right? I yep. mean, that's that's the impression I get, and yep. that part just sort of bugs me. It's like, why is that a prerequisite? When you have other guys, why even have other guys on the bench? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 what Ottawa's doing is remarkable. Okay, let's uh, let's not take anything away from them for a second. I mean, what oh, they're doing absolutely. I mean, that that last game, the comeback was frigging phenomenal, and the way they, I mean, and it, yeah, the Rangers did a bunch well, of things that allowed it to happen, but still, they yes, did that, it. That, that, I think that's that's the that's the bigger point here. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Ottawa. Act. I mean, you know, they they you know they they taken advantage of the opportunity. Like though, I mean, they, you know, they're in the position to do it. I mean, they got. I mean, I agree with you that that the Rangers helped them along, but that in the overtime, the Rangers could have won it in the first one and a half overtimes just as easily as Ottawa could have won it in the first. But one. You know who should have gotten overtime? That's the point. Yeah. I know. You know who's beating up the Rangers? Victor Stahlberg. And I sure I'm sure that hurts Ranger fans because yeah. he is bruising up guys, checking them into the boards, where he wasn't even doing that as a Ranger. Like all of a sudden there's fan bases from about fifteen cities that feel that way. <laughs> um, like the thing Stahlberg playing like this right now, you know. I mean that guy's yeah. played for Nashville. He's played for almost every team that's left in the playoffs, pretty much. <laughs> that's true. Game one, Ottawa played them, and Lungfist was the only reason why. And granted, it was a yeah. fluky, fluky goal. Game two, they blew that game. They basically oh, yeah. had the win and handed it back to Ottawa due for poor, poor usage and misusage of personnel. Either a sitting guys that shouldn't have been sat, or b playing guys in certain situations that shouldn't have been in those situations. And Russ, I agree with you. Hayes is having the same kind of playoffs as he did last year. Somebody should show him his Players' Tribune article and see what he wrote there. Maybe that'll wake <laughs> him up a little bit. Oh, man. But this was JT Miller and the New York Rangers. Remember that whole thing? I think you guys uh, talked about familiar. Yeah. Never forget turning on Comcast and watch the Flyers play JT Miller and the New York Rangers. I'm like, huh? Yeah. yeah. Oh, JT Miller's not having – 
JT Miller's got one playoff goal, I believe, in 31 games now. So yeah. may not be the guy to highlight in your columns. I, I also think, you know, the, the, the subtle changes, and I, I saw this, you know, when Vino started using Ryan McDonough as the, as the point man on the number one power play, I get, you know, McDonough's experienced, and he's a, a very good two-way defenseman. But I think his usage is more is better as a shutdown and as a five-on-five guy. You have Brady Shea, who's, who was their point man on the power play for most of the year, correct? And he's been scoring. I think he has four goals in the playoffs. Why aren't you using Brady Shea as the point man on the power play? Shea actually is a second-line guy, and he wasn't, yes. he wasn't on the power play all the time, which is one of the criticisms we had. And then they moved him, but then they rotated Stepan back to the point and sometimes Zuccarello before moving him down to the half boards. The bigger issue they have is more the zone entry, which is the bigger problem. They don't, they, they're unable to gain the offensive zone to set up. You saw it when they did it in, against uh, Montreal in game six, the goal by Zuccarello and the passing play. That's because they were able to gain the zone. And if they would please stop with the drop back to get the guy with the No, you know, that's team. newer, though. They, they, the never players- works. The Flyers do that. Well, every team does it. Every team does it. it The Rangers had stayed away from it for a while, and they were doing it on the power play, and it drove me crazy. Did you you happen to notice after – after the uh, the own goal that happened, I can't remember who did it during the season, but the, on, on a delayed penalty, they did the drop back and it went back in their own net. Did you notice from now on, all the drop backs are to the side and not up the middle because they're afraid of doing that very thing? There was, there was a moment in the Predators-Lose game, okay, where the Predators were on the power play. They came into the zone three times. All three times they did this, and two of the times, there was a Blues player standing on the red line waiting for them to do it. Yeah. And they, they passed it right to the Blues player who threw it back into the zone. They came back out. They passed it right back to the Blues player. They're trying to get the guy who's coming. It's this like slingshot play that they all like, but it's 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 only effective if you don't do it all the time. I mean, it's, it's almost like in the locker room they put percentages on. Oh yeah, pass and what the area is. Well, this is a forty percent, and this is a sixty percent, and this is a seventy-five percent that it's not going to go well, and you can't do this. And it's like, and players just like robots stay away from it. It takes away all creativity on the power play. It does. And it, it, what it requires is what, what happens is you have one player. So, you know, basically when you're on a power play, what you would normally do, and you never see people dump the puck in on the power plays anymore, but you, no. you know, that used to be relative. That could be effective at times. It used to be if you were quick enough. And if you've got the guys that could play along the wall. Yeah. And if you, if you, if you get everybody, if you get everybody moving as you put the puck in the zone, you know, but what happens with this play is you end up with four of your players lined up on the blue line or three of your players lined up on the blue line stationary waiting. And then you have this other guy coming full speed in because he's got he's, when you threw the puck back to, he's coming full speed in and you're sitting there stationary. And then the, the defense is sitting there stationary. So you have like 12 guys on the blue line waiting for this guy coming full speed in. If he doesn't dump the puck in, he's going to, he's either got to make an incredible play. It's just, it's so easy to defend against because it's like, all you have to do is know he's got to make a pass so he's gonna he's gonna come in, and those players who are standing stationary are easily picked up. So it's just it's just there, it, there's a reason the Rangers are like two for twenty one on the power play. There's a reason. Makes me insane. I mean, the two two other things about the series that are really that strike me. First of all, they've scored nine goals on Lundqvist in two games, right? So this is yeah. like that is something that is you would never have thought in a million years. The but this is the worst defense ever put in front of them, too. We have to acknowledge the that. The Senators team is not you know the Pittsburgh Penguins. They are they have. They don't have this. Is this is the probably you know, not the worst. Maybe the worst offense left in the NHL right now. Maybe perhaps it's hard to say because they put all these goals in. But I wouldn't put them up there really high, you know, with everybody else. Um, but that fact that they've done that is something. Is something you know that's a huge thing because Lundqvist feeds on you know the fact that he 
is unbeatable. And the more the more Lundqvist is unbeatable, the harder he you know, the harder he gets to beat him. It, it goes on and on and on, right? So right now, in Ottawa's head, he's very beatable, regardless of regardless of how good the defense is playing in front of him. And that's why the first the first goal tonight is huge because yeah. if Ottawa gets that first goal and gets into that one three one trap, you're gonna have a dead Madison Square Garden like you did in Game Three against Montreal. Rangers got to get the crowd into it tonight and also try to put some of the bad taste from the way it ended in game two out of their, out of their minds and getting the lead. But of course, what's going to happen is I can tell you right now, the crowd will be on complete edge. If the Rangers have a one or two goal lead late, expecting something bad to happen as opposed to in years past when they expected them to close out a win. Yeah. Can the Rangers borrow Matt Niskanen so he can play against the Eric Carlson? I mean, really, can the Rangers win a big face-off? I mean, that's going to be a big thing, too. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the yep. other kind of surprise, getting away from the series for a second, yep. um, big surprise to me that, you know, yesterday we saw the announcement of um, of the, you know, the Most Valuable Player Award finalists. Okay, so yep. you get McDavid, you get Crosby, we get that. That makes sense. And then Bobrovsky, you know, yep. it sort of comes out of left field to me. Um, I mean, Bobrovsky's had a great year. And no, there's no two ways about it, but... At the same time, you know, I would have thought – I thought Brett Burns was going to be a de definitely the third guy in this whole the, thing. The last six weeks of Brent Burns' regular season absolutely killed him. He disappeared. Yeah. And, and San Jose went from – you know, I mean, they were they were riding pretty high, I would say, early – late February, early March. They they just they just fell down the last five or six weeks, and, and I don't think ever recovered. They didn't really impress in the playoffs. So I think that was the reason why. But I think it's just an acknowledgement. Bob is not winning this award. He's no, he's not. not winning this award. No, no way. I mean, this is a two-horse race for sure. Yeah. But you know, and but I think there's other players. You know, like looking around the league, there's other players I would have thought of before him. I mean, it's easy. You can, obviously can't take the playoffs into account. But looking at you know what Eric Carlson is doing right now, you know he, he's obviously as valuable as any player in the league to the Ottawa Senators. I mean, there's no question that, that what he does for that team is as valuable yeah. as any player. What any player does for any team. I think I think Burns' slump and the team slump in March is probably what cost him a shot. I agree with you. Like he probably would have been a guy up for contention, but he hit the skids for about 14 games or so as did the team. And the fact that he did that and wasn't able to help lift the team up, that probably played a bigger part as why he wasn't one of the final three. And and the other goaltender who might have had a case against uh, as opposed to Borowski was Dubnik, and Dubnik had the same thing. March the 1st, Minnesota went in the tank. For six weeks, you know, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I just and I get this from the player response. That I don't have. Like, I didn't do a survey. I didn't do one of these, you know, great surveys where nobody, everybody's anonymous and they tell you the truth. But it just seems like fans and the media love the Hart Trophy, but the players really care about winning the Pearson. That's yeah. just even yeah. though, and I know it says the Players Trophy, right? So, but it doesn't have to be that way. But for whatever reason, it really does seem like it is. That's all. Yeah. No, they do. I mean, I was looking for other possible guys that I would consider MVP candidates. I mean, you know, Patrick Kane had a really good year. People don't even really think about it. For some reason, he was completely not I really think, about this award. I think the fact that he won it recently. Yeah, that's true. Chances. I mean, Carlson, Carlson had an incredible year. Nikita Kucherov, right? Nikita Kucherov had an amazing year. Yeah, but they didn't, make, they didn't make the playoffs. But no. Eric Carlson, what about Eric Carlson? He finished the season really strong. I, 
I, I think Carlson would have been would have been a, a good choice. I think that uh, I mean, if you're talking goaltenders, I mean, there was talk about Holtby for a while. There was talk about Price for a while. I think the injury to Price, or the excuse me, the slump in the middle of the year for Price hurt him. There was even talk, and I know I'm gonna you know be called, accused of being a homer. There was even talk of Austin Matthews. No, and I don't think that's being a homer at all. Honestly, I think that he, you know, if, if you look around the league, is is the who's if. Just going by, we never it never does go by this. But just if you were to go by the actual definition of most valuable to a team, Austin Matthews is unquestionably as valuable to yeah. Toronto as Brett Burns was to San Jose, as Bobrovsky was. I mean, you know, Bobrovsky is you know he's definitely somebody the media loved. Bobrovsky, he's a hard worker, he's a good guy. I don't have any problem with it, and it's nice that it is nice some acknowledgement. But the Blue Jackets, you know, between the coach of the year and this Super Award, they got they got a lot of more acknowledgement than they usually get from the media. Um, for a they, team that's they, really they just didn't get far in the playoffs, I think they would trade it for that. Well, they just they ran up against Pittsburgh. I mean, they really they really had the worst possible placement they could have had because I mean they could have gone to easily the conference finals if they don't hit Pittsburgh. So, I mean, sometimes you, know, you got to slay the dragon, even if it's just one year where everything works right. Sometimes you just have to slay the dragon in sports, you know. Yeah, and the crazy thing is, who had the most points per game this season in the NHL? Do you know this answer? Points per game. Points per game. All right. Top three, top three. Well, number one, Connor McDavid. Number two, Sidney Crosby. All right, but that's easy. After that, points per game. This guy played 62 games and finished 14th in scoring with 72 points. Johnny Gaudreau. Nope. 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 This would be Evgeny Malkin. Okay. He was my next thought. Really had a hell of a year. Like, you he know, always just, has a hell of a year, but, you know, he doesn't get you know, like, I don't dump Pittsburgh out of it at all. Like, I, I think it's impossible to sit there and say – because Malkin, another thing we've learned about him over the years, right, it's how much better he gets when Crosby's not in the lineup. It's always been the yeah, case. Yeah, no, nobody was saying they're out of it, but I think now if the series went to seven, you wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, although just the way Washington almost blew it last night makes me think it's not going to go that far. Like, I think, I just, I have a feeling that the, the next game, the Penguins will ride on the emotion of the Sidney Crosby thing. I think they will ride that emotion through one game, and they'll be up three to one. And at that point, anything's possible, right? So at that point, you know, it's really going to be hard for the Caps to come back and win it. I'm not saying that the Penguins cannot win this series, but I honestly think that with without Crosby and without Sherry, this series is up for grabs. And I would not, I would not say that it's not possible that Washington wins the next three and wins it in six because Crosby is that important of a player. I think you know there's it's very possible. You're right that Pittsburgh wins Game Four, maybe loses Game Five and finishes it off in Game Six. But mm -hmm. I also think it's very possible that the Caps will continue to do what they did in Game Three, which is go after the Penguins. Now you've got less quality players. You know, now you zero in on Malkin. Now you zero in on, I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury took a big hit from, uh, and I can't remember what forward it was. I think it may have been uh, uh, Johansson. Uh, he was, I think Johansson was driven into, into Fleury by the defenseman. But the backup, the backup is Tristan Jerry. Matt Murray is not available. Want you want to rock that series? If you take out Mark Andre Fleury and Tristan Jerry as your number one goaltender, you know that, what? I'm going to tell you something though. There will be a drop off, but I don't know if it's as great as you think it will be. I know, but but it's an un it's an untested kid. Yeah. I, I I I will grant you, Jerry's got a lot of potential. And he has played and in some big games, so I think you would actually see the team go into that mode where Echo always talks about and we've talked about where sometimes you play better with the backup goalie. For a short time, they would do everything they could to defend that backup goalie, you know? Yeah, I, I, I think that's definitely the case.
But game four is going to be appointment television. It's going, it's going to be a war. It's going to be yeah. a flat-out war. And and you, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some comments coming out from the NHL or somebody beforehand to try to down to minimize what's going to happen in that game. I still feel like these are the two best teams in the league. Like I still feel that. I still feel that right now. Like even, I, I, I don't see there's a reason to not. I, mean, do I just I really watch when you watch the other. I mean the Ottawa Rangers series. I don't see you know I don't see either of those teams competing with either the Penguins or the Capitals right now. Like well, but they still could win a series against them depending on injury. I mean, they could. Depending, but I mean, not Crosby's not enough, in my opinion, to, to the, for that. I mean, I think that it's possible. I think the no, West... Crosby and Latang, like, it's, it's a lot. Sheary matters, too. He does. Anaheim is the best shot of taking out the Penguins of any team left. Um, I, don't know if they beat Ed- I don't know if they beat Edmonton. I don't know if they beat right. Edmonton either, so, um, but I agree. But I think, I think they're it's the all best. about matchups. It always is. Yeah, I think they've had the best shot. And, you know, whether they get past them or not, I mean, you know, it certainly is looking like, you know, right now the Penguins and the uh, Predators are the two best teams in the league as far as from either conference, you know, just the way the both teams are playing. But, you know, it's hard to see how this will all play out from there. Yeah. Taking your head, Mike, what do you think? I mean, I, yeah, it, it's it's too early. I mean, you've got eight teams still left, so it's too early to really, you know, St. Louis could come back and win that series. Oh, you yeah, know, they definitely could. Know. So yeah, I mean, they were dominated pretty well in, in game three. I mean, they, yeah. that, that was a closer game than it looked, you know, just like the scoring. I can, I, I can see a path where it's Penguins, Predators. I can see Caps, Predators, which would be, you know, I mean, the Barry, Barry Trotz going against his old team. I think everybody want, wants that script. Um, but Wait, Philippe Forsberg, Martin Erath, come on, that's really the big story for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, where's Martin Erath? Is he in the Czech League right now? That's a darn good uh, question. So should should we just mention the uh, the the uh, the contract uh, announcement? Yeah, there's a couple couple of Leaf contract signings. Go ahead, Mike. Well, okay. The the one is a minor contract, but not insignificant in the sense. Ben Smith, who's a uh, you know a journeyman fourth line guy, signed a one year deal. But the reason that they did that, and I've been saying this for about three months, is that they're going to sign Ben Smith to re- to qualify for the expansion exposure. Uh, you know, he had to have a player who played seventy games. Uh, 70 games over the last two years or 40 games this year on your roster to be able to uh, qualify. And and Smith, with you know, he was a UFA, but now that they've signed him to an extension, they can expose him and they'll expose Eric Fair as the two, two guys. And they don't have to expose Matt Martin or Leo Komarov, who I think are integral parts of the team, but, you know, different type of players. The other contract is was Nikita Zaitsev. Uh, seven years. This is the deal that was reported last month. Uh, seven years, four and a half million. I think this is a really good contract. It's a little long. He's 25 years old. But He's still not proven enough for me to get in seven years. I'm sorry. I, I, I know, Russ. But the thing is, I think that what they see – okay, Babcock has confidence in him. They've, they've scouted him for two years before he came over to, to the Leafs. They think he's a quality player. He's played Now he's played a year in the NHL. They're – and the thing is, the money that they're getting him at four and a half million for a guy who scored in the uh, in the mid thirties, you know, five or six goals, thirty assists, is pretty is a pretty uh, team friendly deal. They're not spending five five and a half million; they're spending four and a half million. So I, I think that's a it's a pretty good signing. Seven years is a little too a little lengthy, but it only gets him to age thirty two. So that's not. I'm not worried about the age. I mean, it's just. We don't know if the league will change again. If the league changes again and it becomes more of a rough-and-tumble, big-and-fast league, then Zaitsev may be on the outside looking in in three years. That's what I worry about. 
Agreed. I mean, but but I think a lot of teams are in trouble if that happens. So, I mean, you know, I'm just saying they're, they're dealing with the league in the here and now, and for most of the year he was on their top pairing. I don't think down the road he's a top pairing defenseman. I think the main focus of the Maple Leafs this year is to get a top pairing defenseman in a trade or in free agency. And though I think that's going to be the the single focus of Lou Lamorello is to you know either you know one A is probably trade James Van Riemsdyk and the, and one B is to get that top pairing defenseman, you know Zaitsev is a second pairing guy and four and a half million is is reasonable for a, for a second pairing guy. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It is all right. Well, that'll be good stuff. We don't have any draft lottery simulators. I wasn't here yesterday to discuss. No, I'm going to bring this up. I'm going to be covering or I may be covering depending on the condition of my car. The New Jersey Hall of Fame inductions on Saturday, and one of the interesting ones is Chuck Webner, right? He was a boxer, Bayonne Bleeder. We all know Chuck Webner. But I looked from 2008 to, to, to current, and there are no hockey players. Now, I don't know if there's any hockey players in there, but there's two really good New Jersey hockey players, and I'm wondering if they're waiting for them to retire. Like, for me, you might as well just put Bobby Ryan in now because, like, it won't matter. There's nobody else coming. There's nobody else. Right. You know, probably five years from now that will do what he's done. And Van Riemsdyk is second. But I, you got to put Bobby Ryan in, I think. I mean, I, I don't see how you wouldn't. Yeah, no, I think that would be, you know. Um, did they put Morgan in, the soccer, the women's soccer player yet? Uh, no. Uh, what's her name? I, I don't know. I, I couldn't look at previous. Um, Carney Lloyd is going in this year. Lloyd, Lloyd, Lloyd. Lloyd. Sorry, not Morgan. Lloyd. So Lloyd's going in this year. Great. She is going this year, yeah. I remember when she was playing in Medford. So, um, yeah, and Kelly Rip is going in. I don't know how I feel about that, but okay. Kelly Rip. When I was a kid, I used to read Michael Strahan introducing her. <laughs> you beat me to the punch, man. Listen, Ryan Seacrest is her new co-host. That's yeah, that says it all. This is important to know. Okay, before if you know nothing else about me, know these two things. I used to see Kelly Ripa and Callista Flockhart all the time at the wow. mall. They were both. They were both um, South Jersey. They would be at the Cherry Hill Mall, and that's where I would, you know, when I was a kid. And they saw you and went the other way, didn't they? <laughs> Yeah, no, they were, I mean, you know, just like they were part of that group that, you know. So, yeah, yeah, they were a clique. That, that was that was pre-Harrison Ford days for Callista Flockhart, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Callista Flockhart, you know, would not be anybody that you would be like, wow, you would never have thought in a million years she was going to turn into anything, like a star. You know what I mean? She's she's kind of like a drowned, she's like maybe 80 pounds as a drowned rat. You know, like she's right. really, I mean, she, that's hard to say. I mean, I like Ally McBeal a lot. It was a great show, but Callista Flockhart is not, you know, Kelly Ripa, you know. She had that look of that, you know. Did, thing, did, you, know, did but, you say that? Did you say that Ryan Seacrest is the permanent host? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Got named yesterday, I think it was. Uh, I just said that, Mike. Were you sleeping through that? No, I, I, I thought I heard it, but I was like, "Not a Zaitsev high. Leave him alone over here." <laughs> <laughs> I saw Rosie Greer's getting in this year. I was happy to see that. Um, people may have, you know, known him for his football career, but they may not have because, like, by the time if you're my age. He was well done with football. He had been on some TV shows, but he was known for crocheting or yes, knitting, right, man? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but if wow. you don't know your history, Greer was a heck of a defensive lineman. He was. Oh, yeah. And uh, just, just a little and, up. And he could knit you an Afghan in no time. <laughs> and, 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 Merlin Ol- and Merlin Olsen would send you a Hallmark card. Uh, right. Just. One little, one little update. A little I, I used to hook rug with Merlin Olson. Go ahead, continue. One little, uh, some, a little bit of conflicting info when it comes to the Buffalo Sabers GM situation. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's get into that for a second. Yeah, uh, the 
there there were reports WGR radio in Buffalo were, was reporting yesterday that they expected the GM to be named within 24 to 48 hours. Now can I, uh, I, have, I have the background as we go ahead you might keep going. And then and then uh, John Shannon from Sportsnet reported that the Sabres are nowhere close to naming a general manager fact, and that there's players are still going to interview. There's still people that are going to interview with this thing. Um yeah. and I heard Verbeek is still coming in to be interviewed. He hasn't come in yeah. yet. Um you know, I think that they are you know, Bonnerol was the name that was flying out, and it started um, from a radio station, a DJ on a radio station called Kiss Something up in in Buffalo. Kiss, Kiss 98.5, probably. Yes, yes. Kiss 98. That, that was where the Bonnerol rumor began. I, I did a little research yesterday to see, you know, the, you know, just do a little Twitter investigation to see where it all started from. When you're, when you're getting rumors from Nicholas Pickles on not Kiss 98. Oh, yes. Jesus. Not to mention the fact that Botterell's team is still playing and the unlikelihood of them actually announcing a GM from a team that's still playing would be, would be, it's not impossible to happen, but it's, it would be surprising that they would. Not, that, not to totally destroy the Buffalo market, but when I used to drive through there, there used to be this guy who would talk football called, like, the coach or something. Yeah, Chuck Dickerson. He was a former Bills defensive this line. This guy was the biggest embarrassment I ever heard on the air. He yeah. just, so yeah. a Nicholas Piccolis doesn't shock me. It's just well, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just say this. One of the names that was reported was Tom Fitzgerald, the uh, former Penguins right. assistant GM, now assistant GM with uh, the, uh, the New Jersey Devils. Um, there were reports that he had interviewed. Uh, and I don't know if it was on Friday or the day before or the day after. He was in Toronto with the Albany Devils. Okay. He's the GM no, of the Albany he Devils. So, so, so he could have been interviewed before or could have been interviewed yeah. after. But yeah, He was one of the first to come in, I heard. And um, you know, Tom's a great guy. He was on the first. Here's the funny thing. They do, not only does this search have zero transparency, but if you do say a name to Terry Pagula, most of the time he'll shoot it down and say it's not true. But it could be true. That's the funny thing. Well, here, 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 here's an indication, and then and this is just off off the Saber page for one brief second. When they fired their general manager, Doug Whaley, the Bills' general manager, in the press conference, Terry Pagula says, "No, we have not put on any inquiry about this Carolina assistant GM that had worked with the Bills' coach." The next day, that guy. They ask permission. So, right. I mean, the for, there's not a lot of forthcoming things coming from from Terry Pagula and the and the Pagula organization, and that's fine. That they want if they want to like keep things in house and do it that way, fine. But don't, you know, we know that you're going after this guy, so don't lie to us. That's the all we're saying. After the, the day after, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say the day after the NHL draft. Do you feel safe being a Buffalo um, Saber scout? I don't know. Depends. I mean, the guys kind of when you think of the guys like you know that they're looking at. Um, I think Botterill probably is the favorite. I think that that is probably the case. You know, I've heard Botterill and Zito, and I've heard Fitzgerald's name mentioned as well as it's like three of the top guys. Um, but I think that. And then they're all assistant GMs. They probably, and they're all really respectful. They probably would keep the scouts. You know, they probably, I, I don't think that they would. Well, but here's the thing. We or say that, but he cleared out all the scouts from the bills. So we don't know that that's going to be true anymore. But I will say this. Yeah. I really, I've talked to a couple of people who've been involved in this now. Um, and the feeling, you know, is that the bills are an issue with that, that, that not, not an issue, but the, the fact that the, that they're trying to do both of these things at the same time is not helping them. Like that, right. this is that they have two giant things happening at once. Right. Really is really going to make that's why, that's why this process is going to take a while because they really are, um, 
It is, these are important decisions. These are big deals. Decisions, and they're both happening simultaneously. So that's <laughs> we've never seen anything like this actually in any sport ever. Like like with two sports like this, we've had dual. We've had one owner do multiple teams, but we've never seen them have these multiple searches at the same time. It's right, crazy. right at the exact same. And you know, and it's hard to say. Like the the, the president who's who's right president of both. Will he be president of both when this all is said and done? Everything's everything seems like it's up in the air. You know, it seems like it's completely. And, you know, although I have talked to people who, you know, who've talked to them and they say they've been incredibly respectful and that they... Oh, no, look, I, I fully expect everybody on the Sabre staff, they're all going to go through the draft safely. Yeah, but sure. again, just like the, <laughs> the Bills got cleaned out, I can't say for sure now that the Sabres won't because I don't know anymore. Yeah, the, I'm pretty sure that all the, like, all the um, administrative contracts end on june 30th just like the player contract so it, it you know the general manager will have the final say when it comes to keeping scouts and getting rid of scouts but the thing that i think that is overriding in buffalo right now about the situation is the fact that you have a team you don't do not have a team president who has any hockey knowledge he's a he's a business guy he's been a general manager of the bills and involved with the bills for a number of years and he just took over the sabers job in the last year so he is, along with the Pagulas, is handling the search for the general manager. And what I think is what needs needs to happen is you have to have a team president who is the buffer between Pagula and the general manager because otherwise a young general manager will have an owner who really doesn't know anything about the sport other than being a fan, and that's his right. He owns the team, but they will meddle in operations of the team, and that is nothing but a disaster. Yeah, yeah. That's well said, I think. Yeah, they need someone like a George Costanza who could really bridge the gap. <laughs> oh man, well, Trembley got you know got re-upped, which was good to see yesterday for Calgary. Um, there was a lot of yeah. things involving that too. Um, Craig Conroy actually is another name that still could yes. be I heard for Buffalo. So there's a yeah, lot. Of okay, so I I've talked to Craig Conroy two or three times in the last few years. He's been on our show. Very bright guy. Players clearly respect him and like him. He's a very positive guy. Yeah, yes. I think he would have a chance. I do because he would bring a lot of energy to an organization. That's the one thing I could tell you about Conroy. When you talk to him, whether it's off the air, on the air, this guy is passionate about hockey. He was always a passionate player, and he was always that guy that got the most out of his ability. Because you know, and, and he would admit it himself. But I got to tell you, he's a relatable guy. He is. No, he's very relatable. I mean, you know, they, it's hard to just it's just do you at the point where you're at right now hand this over to somebody. It doesn't have enough, you know, it, it's, right. there's, the Sabres are at such a critical point. It's not the best time, for, in my opinion, to bring in an ex-player and have him do this. That's what I like about Botterill and Zito. Like, I mean, I think they're both more savvy as far as business goes. They really need that. Um, ex, nothing against Garen or any of these other people, but, you know, I just think that that, I don't know. It's, it's how they'll do what they're going to do, but I, I think that, this. All I can say is, and I said it before, and I'll say it again, for Buffalo, for both of these teams, the decisions that are made in the next week or two could affect them for like the next three, four years. Exactly. Both of them. Yep, yep, yep. All right, well, that's all the time we have for today, folks. We'll be back again tomorrow. Uh, thank you, Jan, for joining us. Remember, without the buzz, it is just hockey. Enjoy the games tonight. I'm glad they're staggered. we got East and West. It's going to be fun. Talk to you soon. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, 
you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.